I want to remind you that we're currently going through a sermon series in the book of Acts, and uh, it's been a long while since we started this sermon series. We're coming closely to the end. This is going to be one of the final speeches, actually the second to last uh, defense speech, if you will, that uh, Paul gives in the book of Acts, and uh, we are, we're looking at how Paul spoke about the gospel, how Paul spoke about his ministry, about what he does, what he did, why he did it. Uh, let's hear to the way Paul speaks to people who are very in very high authority. Here's the word of the Lord for our hearts this morning. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, and I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our forefathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I am accused by the Jews, O King. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposition to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said to me, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me 
Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help of God that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king rose, and the governor and Bernice, and those who were sitting with him. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, This man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us. Would you join me in in a prayer to ask God, the Holy Spirit, to speak to our hearts through this message, through this text, and through the preaching of this word. Father, thank you that you have recorded for us. You have stored for us and revealed these events for us. And now this is your word for our hearts. Father, we pray that by your Holy Spirit you would speak once again. Touch us, grip us. Bring us to yourself. Bring light where there's darkness. Melt hearts if there's any rebellion of hardness of heart. We pray this for the glory of your name in our midst. Amen. Amen. Friends, as, uh, as I mentioned, this is uh, Paul's second to last defense speech in the book of Acts. It's actually his last defense speech before going to Rome. We saw what triggered this moment last week how God orchestrated uh, the events coming to this day. The previous day, Festus um, was uh, talking to Agrippa because he had this prisoner by the name of Paul, and uh, he really didn't know what charge to put next to him as Festus was going to send Paul to Rome to be tried by Caesar. 
Why is Paul in prison? Why did he get there? Why should, should he remain a prisoner? Why should he be tried before Caesar? These are questions Festus had. But he had no answer to them. That's pretty pathetic. It's very sad because he's in charge. He's the governor. He's the one who has the, the authority vested by the Roman government to, to make these decisions, and he has no idea. So Festus called on Agrippa, King Agrippa, Jewish king, the fourth in the line of the Herodian line, the last of the Herodian line. He asked King Agrippa to come and, and help him diagnose this man and, and figure out the, some sort of a accusation that they can put to his name so he won't send him to Rome without any official accusation. God orchestrated in his providence that when Agrippa heard about Paul, Agrippa was willing to listen. He said, I'm, show me this man. So the next day, they bring Agrippa, Bernice, uh, and all the tribunes of the area, and all the city leaders end up showing up to this hearing. And uh, now here we stand. Paul is brought before them, and King Agrippa says, you have permission to speak. Why is Paul doing what he's doing? Why is he in prison? What exactly is Paul doing? Well, this is what he will say, speak about in this defense. So as we look at this defense, it's one of the most important defenses in the book of Acts of Paul, why he's doing what he's doing and what exactly he's doing. As we look at this, I realize, friends, uh, that there's so much, so much to learn from this passage that I had to break this sermon in two your benefit, and for all of our benefit, really. So we won't stay here until 1 o'clock. Um, so we're going to just do half of the sermon today. Uh, there's three points, uh, and then there's more points next week on the same passage. So this is just the first half of Paul's defense speech. But really the nature of this defense is really a, a description of the, of the nature of the gospel ministry. What is the gospel ministry about, and why is Paul doing it? Well, three things I'd like for us to look today uh, from this passage, the first half of this text, about the gospel ministry. If you like taking notes, here's the first one. Here's the first point. The gospel ministry is about an ancient hope. The gospel ministry is about an ancient hope. In verses 4 and 5, Paul speaks about his upbringing as a Jewish person and his uh, life as a Pharisee, which, by the way, was the strictest party uh, in, um, in the Jewish uh, life. But notice what Paul says in verse 6. And now, I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers. Why is Paul in prison? Why is he on trial? Because of his hope in the promise made by God. To who? Paul says, to our fathers. And that refers to not just his physical father. That phrase, to our fathers, refers to, the, refers to the saints of the Old Testament. In other words, Paul is on trial because of an ancient Old Testament promise God made long, long, long ago. And then verse 7, Paul says, To which all our twelve tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly worship night and day. What is Paul saying in verse 7? That he's not alone in, in hoping for that hope, in, in, in looking forward to attain that hope, that the 12 tribes of Israel are waiting for this hope 
as well. Yet Paul concludes verse 7 by this phrase saying to Agrippa, For this hope I am accused by Jews, O king. Now, what is this hope that Paul is talking about? What is this hope that he has? What is this hope that the 12 tribes of Israel are, are aiming to attain? What is this hope that for, for, by, for which he's accused by, by the Jews? Well, first, this hope is, is a hope of the resurrection. It's what God promised in the Old Testament. Now, friends, we will look this morning at a few passages in the Old Testament. So get your Bibles ready because I want you to open them to a few passages in the Old Testament where God gives this promise of, of the resurrection to His people. But as we read these promises, I, I want to I prepare your minds. There's a common thread, a common theme for all these passages uh, that speak about this promise. They all talk about a time when God will restore His people. You see, God's people in the Old Testament have been destroyed, taken to exile, removed from their own land. Why? Because they have sinned against the Lord. God said He would do this to them through Moses in the first generation. In, in, actually, in the, in the Deuteronomy, God said that if they will not follow the Lord, the Lord will take them and give them to the nations and plunder them and exile them. So He did. But in the midst of that, God through His prophets also gave promises of restoration. And now the prophets, prophets speak about a time when God will restore His people. And notice what God promised to do in restoring them. Here's a, the first passage I want you to open to. Hosea chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Hosea chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. By the way, as you, as you find your text there, we went through an entire sermon series in the book of Hosea several, several years ago here at Parkland's Baptist Church. It's, it's a difficult book. It's a difficult book. But here's what God says in the midst of that difficult Difficult book. God says, chapter 6 of Hosea, Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us, that He may heal us. He has struck us down, and He will bind us up. After two days, He will revive us. And on the third day, He will raise us up, that we may live before Him. Prince, do you hear? Do you hear what God has promised through Hosea? On the third day, He will raise us up. The hope of the resurrection for God's people. God promised to restore His people by promising to resurrect them. Turn to Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37, just a few books behind or prior to Hosea. Ezekiel 37, as you turn there, this is, uh, the context is the valley of uh, the, the dried bones. And uh, the dried bones was a picture of representing the state of Israel, the state of God's people. A very sad, sad vision uh, at the beginning. Ezekiel 37, verse 11, Then he, God, said to me, the prophet Ezekiel, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Friends, this is what Israel was, a valley of dried up bones. 
No life in them. No flesh on them. Nothing. This was Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. Did you hear what Israel was saying in exile? Our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Now, friends, how did Israel get here? God cut them off because they have sinned and rebelled against God. That's what sin does. It cuts us off from God. It separates us from God. This is what happened with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when they have sinned against the Lord. What did God do? He kicked them out. God separated them. God cut them off. This is what happens. This is what happened to Israel when Israel sinned and God exiled them. Because God is a holy God, we, He cannot have sinners in His presence. And yet... And yet, in His mercy and grace and love, God also provided a way of restoration. Listen to what God promised to do with Israel. Listen to the rest of the prophecy given through Ezekiel, verse 12. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves. O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. Fitz, do you hear what God has promised? To resurrect His people. The promise of restoration involved the promise of the resurrection of His people. Isaiah 25, here's another passage, Isaiah 25, just a few books prior to Ezekiel. Isaiah 25, verse 8, He will swallow up death forever. Did you hear that? He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of His people He will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. When God will restore His people, He will swallow up death forever. This is a promise God has made in the Old Testament. And then just a chapter later, in Isaiah 26, 19, God says, Your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust. Now God is speaking to the dead people. And God is going to command them. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light. And the earth will give birth to the dead. Friends, this week, we will bury the body of Evacado. We will commit her to the grave. And as we will do that, I will stand with the family up in Dallas, where the gravesite service will be, and I will give them this promise of God from the Old Testament. Your dead shall live. Their bodies shall rise. And I will declare to them what God has spoken through His prophet. You who dwell in the dust. And I want you to think about people have in your life who have gone to be with the Lord. It is for them 
these words are declared by the Lord. The Lord will bring a time when he will speak these words. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your dew is a dew of light and the earth will give birth to the dead. Friends, this is a God we worship. This is the God who revealed himself in the Old Testament. The God who is able to speak and command those who lie in the dust. And so this is a hope promised by God in the Old Testament. Because God promised to restore His people. So how will God restore His people from the Old Testament? What is He saying? What has He said? He will restore His people by the resurrection. This was a hope of Israel. Well, against this background, against these promises of the Old Testament prophets, Paul speaks to his audience about Jesus, about his death, about his resurrection. Look at verse 22. To this day, Paul says, To this day I've had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both, both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Friends, Christ was prophesied in the Old Testament as being the first to rise from the dead. In other words, Jesus is God's proof for the resurrection of life. Jesus also is God's means of bringing us into the resurrection of life. Remember what Jesus told Martha in John? Martha, Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. And Paul later spoke uh, elsewhere, speaks about that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Dear friends, Christ Jesus is not only the proof of God's resurrection, of God's ability to resurrect. Jesus is also the means of bringing us into that resurrection. But look at how Paul applies this, this hope of the Old Testament how does Paul apply it to his audience right here? Look at verse 8. The first time he's actually taking this and actually applying it to uh, the people that are listening to him. Verse 8. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? See how Paul now turns this to his audience? Folks, why, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Paul challenges his audience to examine what kind of view of God they have. Is he able to raise the dead? Does our understanding of God lead us to believe the resurrection? Friend, if you're not a Christian this morning, perhaps you're visiting us, one of, the, one of the quintessential, one of the basic understandings that we have of the God who created us is that not only He created us, that He's perfect in all His attributes, that He's holy, but that He is able to bring life from death. You know why? Because the first time He brought life, brought it out of nothing. He brought life on earth out of nothing. He just breathed it. He's able to bring life out of death. Christ, God has given us a tangible proof of this historic, a historic proof of his ability to resurrect. Second, look at the way Paul applies this, passage, this hope um, to, 
King Agrippa. Look at verse 27. Uh, now Paul applies this hope of the Old Testament specifically to King, King Agrippa. He says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? <laughs> I, 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 I wish I was a fly on the wall when Paul did this. I mean, it reminds you that this is the this, you know, he, this is a king of the Jews, and the governors right there, they could, they, could change, they could change his destiny, and yet here's Paul with boldness. He just said, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? And then Paul answers the question for him as well. I know you believe. Paul doesn't say, notice, Paul doesn't say, King Agrippa, do you believe what I just told you about Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? Paul doesn't say that. What did he say? Do you believe the prophets? Why? Why the prophets? Friends, because the gospel ministry is an ancient hope. The message of the gospel is given to us already in the Old Testament. The gospel ministry is a hope of restoration through the resurrection through Jesus, the Son of God. But all of that was foretold in prophetic word in the Old Testament. Friend, do you have this hope of the resurrection in you this morning? If you don't have this hope of the resurrection, I pray, I invite you, I plead with you. Respond to the gospel. Believe the prophets. God said He would do this. And in Jesus, He has given us a proof that He's able to do this. I pray that you would Grab hold of this hope of the resurrection by turning to Jesus, embracing Him. I'd like to know more about that. I'd love to talk to you at the end of the service. For those of us who have made this turn, I want to challenge us this morning how we think about the gospel. For those of us who already made this turn to God, I want to challenge us to think about how we think about the gospel. Friends, do you think about the gospel as being merely a New Testament phenomenon? Do you think that the Christian message is only about the New Testament? Or primarily about the New Testament? Because if you do, you might be out of sync with the way the Apostle Paul preached the gospel. When he preached the gospel, to this mixed audience of Jews and Gentiles, he finds and goes back to the Old Testament. We must have an understanding of the whole Scripture as being God's Word. Everything that happened with God and with Israel, and the foretelling of the story of Jesus, the coming of Jesus, all of that is given, at least in seed form, in the Old Testament. So I hope that we would understand and have an appreciation from the old, for the Old Testament. Where did the apostles learn this from? Who did the apostles learn this from? From Jesus himself. Jesus himself showed the apostles and his disciples that all of this was foretold in Moses and the prophets. As we talk to people, we should make it clear that Christianity is not a new religion. It goes back to the very beginnings. Christianity never broke off from Judaism. Christianity is the true fulfillment of the promises God made to Israel. We must understand that. 
We go back to Moses. We go back to creation. The gospel ministry is about an ancient hope of the resurrection, and Jesus was the first to rise from the dead. Second of all, the gospel ministry opens the eyes so people may turn. The gospel ministry opens the eyes so people may turn. From verse 9 to 19, Paul speaks about how his strong opposition uh, to the name of Jesus um, was melted, was overcome by the appearance of the risen Christ to him. The risen Christ appeared to Paul for this purpose. For what purpose? Look at verse 16. But rise and stand up upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. Why? Why did Jesus appear to Paul on the road of Damascus? For this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness. And then verse 17, Jesus tells Paul, delivering you from your people, from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you. Why is Jesus sending Paul? Look at verse 18. To open their eyes so they may turn. Friends, we must be very clear that the point of the gospel, the goal of proclaiming the gospel message of Jesus is so people may turn. So people may turn. To become a Christian involves a turning. Becoming a Christian is not just a matter of adopting a set of beliefs. It's about a major turn in someone's life. And do you know how Jesus describes this turn? He'll give two images of describing this turn. Two images. The first image is turning from darkness to light. This is how God describes humanity. Mankind dwells in darkness. The darkness is not bound to the outside world. It's not dark because it's night outside. Darkness is because the eyes are closed. But that's different. Darkness is because we have a problem. It's not because outside is dark. That's why Paul is sent by Jesus to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light. Their eyes are closed. That's why in order for, for this turn to happen, we must have our eyes opened. And this is why the resurrected Christ commissioned Paul. The apostle is sent to the Jews and to the Gentiles so their eyes might be opened. Now, remember, this was Paul's own experience. When he came or was on the road to, Jerusalem, uh, to Damascus from Jerusalem, what did Jesus do as he appeared to Paul? He blinded his eyes so that Paul would realize that even though he was seeing in general, even though his eyes were open, he actually couldn't see. And that the appearance of Christ necessitated an opening of the eyes. And who was sent to Paul to open his eyes? Ananias. Somebody had to go. Somebody had to come. To Ananias, to, to Paul, to open his own eyes. And this happens, friends, in the ministry of the gospel. This is what, when we preach the gospel, we preach it so eyes can be opened, so people may come and turn from darkness to light. Now, friends, what makes this darkness worse than physical dark blindness is that blind people know that they're blind. But the darkness that Paul speaks about is so deep that people don't know. They're blind. They actually think they're fine, when in reality, they're not. They think they don't need God. They think they don't need religion. They think they don't need the church. They don't think they need the gospel. 
or others. There are people who think they do. There are people who think they need some sort of religious experience. They think they know that they need God. They think they know they need the church, but they're still blind because they need it and pursue it on their terms, not on God's terms. And this was Paul's experience. Paul thought he was acting on on, on behalf of God. Paul thought he was doing God a favor when, when this experience happened to him. There are people who actually can be blind even in their pursuit of God because they, they pursue God on their terms, not on the terms that God revealed, of the, the terms that God revealed in His Word. The darkness that Jesus speaks about is not just a darkness of people who are atheists or irreligious. It's a darkness of people who pursue all kinds of religious experiences, but not according to God's revelation. Once this experience of having your eyes closed... Do you know to whom it was attributed first time or in an important way in the Old Testament? To Israel. To Israel. Isaiah 6 and Isaiah 42, which we read earlier in the service, speak about how actually it was Israel that is blind. Who is blind but my servant, says God. Speaking of Israel. And in Isaiah 6, God says, and, it's, and Isaiah 6 is, is then applied by Paul and used in Acts 28. In the last speech Paul gives in Acts 28, Paul quotes Isaiah 6. And here's what Paul says, For this people's hearts has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes have closed. Paul quotes Isaiah 6, speaking about the people of Israel. The darkness of humanity, even of Israel, is that they have their eyes closed and don't even know it. Friends, the proclamation of the gospel is given so that people may have their eyes open, so they may turn. And the first image, turn from what? Turn from darkness light. That's why, friends, when we speak the gospel, it's a big deal. There's a lot waiting for the, for, f- to happen when the gospel is proclaimed. There's a lot of potential. There's a lot of benefit. Someone may actually turn from that kind of darkness to light. I'm going to pause here. Second picture we're going to pick up next week. If you think the picture of darkness and light is not bad. Just wait for the second picture of turn, that describes a turn. From the power of Satan to God. It's the same turn described differently. We're going to pick that up next week. We're going to close tonight or this morning by asking God to give us the boldness. Remember, Paul is saying these things before the king who had the power to say his verdict before a governor who could speak what to do and declare what to do with Paul's life, Paul speaks boldly and makes the gospel message clear. Oh, how I pray that we would have the same kind of boldness, that we would have the same kind of clarity of what the gospel message is about. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, thank you that you give us in your word truth. That you give us in your word 
clarity about what the gospel message is about. Father, thank you for the clarity that you have given to Paul as you have, you have called him to be an, a messenger, an apostle sent by you. Oh, Lord, we pray that just as you have sent him, you would continue to send us, that we would take your gospel, that through this message, through this proclamation, eyes might be opened so people may turn, turn from darkness to light, turn from the power of Satan to God. Oh, Lord, make your church strong, bold, clear. Help us see that there's so much, there's so much awaiting in that proclamation of the gospel. Lord, do your work with us. Open the eyes. Shine your light so that people may come to know the light of the gospel. So people may come to know their own state of darkness, their own state of, of being away from you, of being in bondage to the power of darkness, so they may experience the freedom that the gospel brings. May that power of the gospel work itself out in us, even today. Amen.